Hello, this is Scott Jens. Welcome to Sandbox Stories. Hello. Today's episode of Sandbox Stories brings an interview of Dr. Amika Ngati. Dr. Ngati, welcome to Sandbox Stories. Thank you. Hey, Scott. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited. I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm more excited because <laughs> I had a chance to talk to you before this and uh, you have incredible uh, gift of conversation and I'm just so glad to profile you as a colleague and an optometrist friend. Thank you so now, much. Let's talk about your practice. You have a practice in the greater Atlanta area? I do, yes. So currently I am um, in a retail location um, and I've been there at this particular location um, for about six years, but I've been in uh, retail optometry since 2013 after I finished my residency. Um, I kind of was like, oh, I want to do my own thing. So I um, got into um, one location and then I've been in another. So yes, absolutely been practicing for some years. Did you consider a residency to be an important thing to do or a necessity when you got out of school? You, you know, I, it, I talked to school with a whirlwind. <laughs> and I'm thinking that um, I, yes, I felt that it was kind of a necessity, to be honest. And I think that's just kind of like a part of who I am, you know, just kind of following through. Um, and even though they didn't have residency spots for all of the students, um, for me, I just felt like, you know, why not take it to that level? And there's more that I could have done, but I'm not an academia person. But so the residency was enough for me, but just to feel really completely comfortable doing um, medical optometry and just feeling very comfortable and confident and treating any kind of like disease oriented type situation. So, yeah, for me, I, thought, I kind of felt it was a necessity, but. I'm sure there are That's others great. who would say different. <laughs> you also have a very strong opinion about the importance of optometry helping the public understand the full scope of an eye exam. Right. How do you talk to patients about that? It's been a battle, right? And I think as you continue in practice, you you just try to pick one. You, you know that it's important, um, but because there isn't this drive or I don't know if, what is it called PR behind optometry I'm not sure what to put it so people don't really don't understand so some people are like well they have you know oh I'm gonna get in trouble for this they have free eye exams <laughs> and you're like well how are people how are doctors doing exams for free do they not have student loans like what program did they go on so the the concept though is that we're not completely explaining to people what is a part of that exam so people don't know what to expect and we're not necessarily uniform across the board. So some places you go and it takes like two minutes. And I do a quick eye exam. I'm going to be honest with you. I do a quick eye exam. But some places you go and it's a second. And the other places you go and it's like this whole full experience. But people can't break down the components of that exam. They don't know what they're getting. So some they just know they leave with glasses or contacts. But they don't know like all necessarily of the in-between steps. And so for me, I feel like when you you get a lot of like back and forth or argument, you know, or, or contention if your price is this and this other person's price is that, but it's like, I can't do an exam for 10, like for $5. Like we have to, 
we have to be able to provide value for you until that cost. How do you demonstrate that you're providing, even if it's quick, a thorough examination? I explain. I explain what I'm doing. I explain um, each part of the exam. You know, they have us do that even in like, what is that, step three or whatever. But I do explain what I'm doing. You know, using this light here, just want to check your pupils. Okay, follow this light with the, with your eyes. We got to make sure your eye muscles are working. Like I say what I'm doing and I do it quickly. I don't say it that slow, but I, I explain what I'm doing. Okay, now we need to do an ocular assessment, a health assessment of your eyes. You know, we're going to check your retina. We're going to check. I literally say these things. And the person may say, what? And I said, we're just going to check the health of your eyes. And, you know, we're going to take a look. I'm going to take a look. at How do you look at the back of my eyes? I'm just going to use this lens here. I'm going to put it right up here. And I'm just going to take a look. I want to make sure everything looks good back there. So I kind of explain step by step. I, I literally, as I'm moving the four after, hey, I'm going to put this in front of your eyes. Now we're going to check and see what the numbers are for your glasses prescription. And then like, I just start clicking it in and I'm moving. It's all happening at the same time. I'm not keeping people in the chair for two hours. Um, but I do say these things out loud um, so that they know something is happening. It's not just, you know, click, click, click. So. I don't know. That sounds really important. I, I think that there's a lot of us that have provided eye care for years, maybe even decades, where there are times where you just kind of get caught in your process. You're thinking about the data. You're thinking about what's going on after work. Um, sometimes patients don't endear themselves to a conversation, but this oh, idea absolutely. of doing a, right. sometimes doing a voiceover to what you're providing is just a difference maker. And it probably endears patients to want to come back to you? I mean, is that something right. you find? So, you know, there's uh, so many schools of thoughts on uh, retail optometry. And that's a different discussion for a different day. But um, yeah. since I've been in my location for six years, um, people are like, oh, you're still here? And I'm like, yep, we're here. Um, you know, and so the thing is, like, people, I remember when I first started and I wasn't necessarily having a full book of, like, return patients. And people would say, oh, I always see a different doctor or they don't understand that we're um, independent contractors. So it's like, oh, well, I went to them. I went to this store over here. Don't, don't you have my records? And so I have to like make it clear to them that, hey, no, this is me. Um, this is us. And, you know, we have your records or they don't transfer over. We're responsible for your records. And so me showing up to that space and being consistent, I think, has um, been my little part of, of doing my, my job to kind of like make sure people know, you know, that we're what we're trying to do and who we are. And I don't That's do a lot darn. of fill in. I don't have a lot of fill in doctors. That's pretty dang important though, because you made a point that we won't cover retail optometry in one segment. I didn't intend to make this about retail optometry, <laughs> but you're a provider regardless of where you are and mm -hmm. you take that seriously. And I think what I take away from your comments is you can only influence the patients you can influence. And maybe the people who are listening to this to realize that, there are a lot more people practicing the way you are than oh, there time. are doctors yeah. who are practicing really quick and simple, not talking to the patients, not endearing themselves to the patients. And for that, I think it's important that we take just one more moment and let you sort of explain how you feel like this is your practice inside of a location. Oh, and yeah, it no, sounds like I've always felt, well, I mean, I'm responsible, right? So I'm the person who's going to be um, held liable. Let's just say it like that. So I have always taken pride in um, saying that. It gets tricky from a um, practice management standpoint because I don't necessarily have a practice manager. So as soon as they figure out that issue that they want to talk to, it's like, can I speak to you? Okay, hello, that's me. 
Um, so that can be a little bit tricky, but it also has, I feel has worked more in my favor than against me, you know, I'm being able to just kind of let people know that, Hey, this is, you know, and why I'm taking it serious. And sometimes I'll personally call them and say, Hey, this is Dr. And I'm just checking in about X, Y, Z. And then they kind of get the vibe that, Hey, um, this is actually the doctor. And so I think it's interesting too, because um, I did grow up on the South side of Atlanta. I'm a South side girl. I like being on the South side. I love it. Um, people who are new to Atlanta, they come, they move to Buckhead. They move to Alpharetta. I don't want it. I want, I want to be on the South side. So me being there, being in that demographic, um, a lot of, um, actually my demographic is a lot of older people too. You know, that, that street where they built my store, um, people are like, wait, they're, they're still calling it the new store. They're still calling it the new store because it's only been there for five or six years. And for years, there was nothing on that side. And they kind of called it like a food desert and stuff for various reasons. But again, me being there and them coming in and having this great experience in that location just really gives me an opportunity to to be that, um, I don't know, advocate for the way I think that optometry can and should be practiced. We have the medical training and not everybody wants, to, I don't want to be an academia. I do not. I do refer out most um, diseases and then can co-manage if I need to, but I do refer most of it out. I don't want to do that. I like, um, I love instant gratification. I like immediate good results. I like when people need glasses and I give it to them and they're very happy. So I do refer out a lot of disease and I think that's okay. And I think we can, we should all practice to the level that we're comfortable, but I do think that we can, can introduce that total health, whether we're managing or not, we can give them the information and not just send them out. Like we can discuss it with them. Like we had that opportunity to discuss stuff, break it down. Um, though I do a quick exam, I always end with, do you have any questions for me? Because I want to be able to give them the chance to ask me any questions about anything that they're concerned about. Um, and that lets them know that like, hey, I'm willing to explain. Cause you know, people say, oh, I go to the doctor. You know, we talk about representation matters. We talk about different things. I go to the doctor, I never get to ask them any questions or like, I, I didn't know what they were talking about. Or I came here because um, I didn't understand what they were saying. And they're saying that I need a surgery and, you know, just trigger words to patients. And I don't think I need, I just need new glasses. And then you're like, ma'am, these glasses are not going to help you. Like, let's talk about these cataracts. Let's talk about this. And I literally go through the picture. So that's where I spend my time in the, in the exam room, because I feel like, I mean, once you get down a refraction or anything like that, you put that slit lamp up, you know, what's going on. You just got to do that part quickly. So you can spend time explaining to the patient, you know, kind of what the deal is. So uh, my big takeaway is that you're kind of a self-contained um, unit. And not only do you have to communicate with the patients when they're there with you, but you also have this responsibility to be calling patients and uh, following up with patients. And if they ask for the boss, you're it. And I think there's a real lesson for that in people who get into these larger staffed organizations. So I, I think that's a wonderful story. Yes, but uh, I, have, I, wish... I have I have, um, I have outsourced certain stuff. So I'm not just sure, a one-show sure. man. I have outsourced stuff because... You, you can do better when you're not trying to do everything, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. I mean, mostly in the form of you have a clear role in the practice and right. you're not, you don't cower away from communications. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I like it a lot. I like it a lot. And I think um, I got the opportunity to quote unquote, be my own boss. And so, yeah. you know, there's a responsibility to that, but I do march to the beat of my own drum. I have a three day week, three and a half day week, like at my office um, because I only want to be there when we're fully booked. I don't want to be there all the time. So, 
Yeah. Let's talk, let's talk about mentorship. Um, you've had a couple of optometry mentors. How have they helped chart your course in the profession? Um, so I can speak, you know, of course, I told when we talked about this before, Essence, who referred me to you as one of my huge mentors, love her to death. I've known her dearly. She's a, a very good friend of mine also. But literally, um, I did the same residency Essence did. Um, and then I started practicing here in Atlanta. So she started, she practiced here before she moved to Texas. So she was a big help in kind of helping me map out my professional you know, desires, if you will, even though she does community optometry, Dr. Robinson, she does community optometry. Um, and I kind of went the retail route after residency again for me. I was like, nah, I'm done with that. But um, she's a huge mentor. She she is a great resource also. You know, so I think the thing is like being able to ask people questions. Andre, Dr. Andre Lenore, he's a huge mentor for me because because the whole time I was in retail, you know, we don't get any business, very minimal business practice. And Dr. Lenore finally helped me direct my path so that it made sense. Because again, um, you go and you're like, uh, did I make any money today? <laughs> like, <laughs> you're like, I don't think I made any money today. And um, different retail locations have different ways. But if you're not making anything off of materials, you know that you have to really be strategic about ensuring that you're covering, you know, your costs, but also making, um, making money. So those are my two big optometry mentors. And then I have mentors from my childhood who I still hold near and dear um, to my heart, but my two big optometry mentors are there. Um, and then as I've moved into the um, eyewear design um, sphere, I am still looking for some major mentors. <laughs> Which we had talked about that briefly, but yes, you know, as you know, I started my eyewear line and I would love to pick the brains of some wonderful people. So anybody watching, um, but I have got connections with a lot of people. There have been people because as most anyone who knows who's tried to do an eyewear line, there is no information available on Google. There is no way for you to research this. <laughs> this is not something that you can Google and be like, how do I make an eyewear line? It's not going to pop up. So I have had um, some strategic people, um, some people with the Vision Council, Terrence. Um, I'm not sure if you know. Do you know Terrence Blackman? It's one of my favorite. I don't know that ever. I do. He, um, he's not an optometrist, but he is in the um, industry, and he was very helpful in connecting me with other eyewear designers because that's not uh, the optometry hat is one hat, and then of course the eyewear designer is is is, is a different. It's a different bag altogether. Um, so yes. We'll get a little deeper into your eyewear line in a minute. I want to also talk about how you mentor others. You right. know, I think mentors are, you made this point that you just want to have somebody you can ask questions of, somebody's got a little more experience. How do you do that, both in optometry and in your community? So I love, um, so I love cultural organizations. I am a first-generation Nigerian-American, and I, um, what you know is what, you know, people only understand or Exposure makes a big difference in your life choices, opportunity and exposure. So when you're exposed to different fields, you're exposed to different things, you can see it and, and you get a better understanding of it. So with that being said, as a Nigerian American, they encouraged us to be doctors, nurses, engineers. That's what they knew. And when they said doctor, you're thinking med school doctor, like you're not, none of the other doctors are running through your head. You're thinking like, you know, you're going to med school, you're going to be a doctor. And so I had said that I wanted to be a doctor, um, you know, for forever. But exposure, I think, would have changed that. So with my cultural, kind of combining those two things, 
my love for cultural stuff. Um, I've always been involved in something called the Nigerian Youth Alliance. It's a group that was formed here in Atlanta back in 1999. Um, and basically it um, its purpose was to bridge the gap between Nigerian youth here and Nigerian youth there. And then also just kind of create this like safe space for other Nigerian kids who were growing up in two different cultures because you got Nigeria at home and then you're America, you know, when you come out. And just how do you combine those two things? How do you stay true? To, the, to those two things, because I think that's what makes America great is that we have so many cultures, right? Like we have so many different cultures. So I don't want to take and throw my culture away. I want to bring my culture in and, you know, kind of combine that. And that, and to me, that just really expands your worldview. It expands, you know, the way you can connect with other people. You know, the fact that you, that you have these different um, exposures or opportunities. But anyway, you know, I can talk for forever. Let's get what you were saying about the mentorship. I think the exposure. So for me, it, it, it's really important for me to continue to be a part of that youth organization because I want to expose them to other fields. Like we we did even like a career fair where it was, um, remember the stay calm, I'm a whatever. That was the theme of yeah. it. Stay calm, I'm a. So all I had, I had like about 20 different professionals come and it was like, stay calm, I'm a principal. Stay calm, I'm a this. And what that did was it let the kids kind of see that, hey, these are other Nigerians like us, and they're doing so many different things, maybe not all engineering, um, doctor or, okay, yeah, she's a doctor, but my shirt said optometrist. I didn't say doctor of optometry. So like, well, what is that? You know, because when I was growing up and I needed glasses and contacts, we were only going one place. And I didn't even know that that was a doctor position, you know, because of the lack of exposure. So again, you know. Um, I think the exposure to different fields is really important to giving um, people choices. Um, and then I also think that um, with the optometry world, because there's so many different ways that you can do optometry and there's like no uniform way. We just have not uniform. We have not. I mean, do you agree? Like we haven't made this process uniform. There's so many different ways you can do it. And so um, I think that I love talking to, young optometrists and young optometry students. I do have like one young optometrist that she called me last night and we just kind of, I just listened to her. I did, well, I got the opportunity to do this and I got the opportunity to do that. And this and that happened in the exam room. And, you know, they still get up in arms about a quarter or 50 diopter change. And they're like, I told the patient that. And you're like, baby, save your breath. Give them what they want. Like, you know, like which fight do you pick and, you know, which one do you go for it with? And I think that helps them become better practitioners. And then when it comes to the students, of course, um, just having an opportunity to see somebody like, what does uh, work-life balance look like for an optometrist? You know, so I just love, I love talking to people and, and obviously I can talk for forever, but um, I think it's, it's very helpful to young people to get the exposure and just kind of hear like what other people are doing. I um, mean, you know, when we first talked, I talked your ears off about your, your history because I'm like, how cool like how, how neat is that and just shared with you you know my thoughts about the things that you had um brought to the industry and I just think there's that that we have a very unique opportunity because in optometry you know our blessing and our curse I guess we can bring so much different things to the table and to the industry and there's so many spaces where we can actually revolutionize this industry so um them being young people being able to see like what doctors are doing what they brought to the industry, I think that definitely will help enrich our um, our profession, which is really exciting. I'm glad you do all that. That outreach is so important. 
I want you to tell us about how your parents moved to Atlanta. There's a Georgia Tech connection. It's right. um, it's fascinating. Tell us about your parents' so, decision to move there. Right. So I think, um, you know, you do hear a lot of immigrant stories, but both of my parents um, were born and raised in Nigeria. And um, my dad actually came to the U.S. first and he went to school in Louisiana. And then he actually transferred and started going to Georgia Tech, which is where he got his um, master's in city planning. And then my mom came over shortly and she um, actually got her master's in geophysics. And so we were, we've been in Atlanta since 82. And then they found a community of other Nigerians at Georgia Tech, which actually ended up being like my childhood best friends. And a lot of them are still my adult friends now. Um, so that, again, that worldview, that connection with the culture. Um, and then my mother became the first, you know, we talked about that. My mom kind of wanted us in Catholic school. So she put us in Catholic school. So then I had that whole connection and, um, had this super diverse like childhood because I was in this school with all these different cultures, Indians, Asians, Hispanic people, um, all kinds of different people that gave me that um, diverse kind of unique childhood and upbringing and just being able to feel comfortable, you know, interacting in different groups. So yeah, and, um, growing up here was just, it was an, a very interesting experience. And I think what's interesting is though, both of my parents got their masters at Georgia Tech, neither one of them do what they got their degrees in at all. My mother, my mother, uh, we have a family business. We have a daycare, which we've had for over 30 years. Um, and then my dad now, it's kind of, he's kind of retired, but he kind of retired out of um, construction. He was a, so his city planning kind of went hand in hand, but he did construction. He was a builder for a long time. So I want to get real on something. You know, you're a first generation Nigerian American. You're an American. You are strong with your Nigerian roots and proud of them. And you should be proud of what your parents did. What a wonderful thing they did. Came and got their education, contributed to the community. Isn't it, isn't that diversity what we're supposed to celebrate here? I think so. I I don't, I don't understand how, you know, how many years has gone in. um, And while we still have this struggle, you know, I, I mean, I guess I do understand, but the diversity of this country, I think is just, is, it should be the biggest strength. I think it should be the thing that kind of propels us forward because we are next door to um, people who are very different from us. And, and we should be able to use those things to just really be a real superpower. But what we see is that time and time again, it is defeating our country and it's kind of like tearing, you know, pulling us apart when really we should, we should celebrate each, each other's diversity and celebrate um, our differences. And that should help us to unify each other and see each other as, oh, okay, no, this person is very human. This is, you know, very human, per- like humanize each other because we <laughs> understand each other's differences. And yet somehow it just keeps, you know, evading us that this country just, just wants to hold on to the most, polarizing concepts that just make no sense to me at all. So, Well, I appreciate you saying that. I I don't know what to add. I I just know that I find your path into optometry really interesting. That's how we became colleagues. And then we can become friends and I can understand what you've done and from where you've come and say, that's great. And and it's that simple. And and I'm really glad you shared the story of, of your family. And I'm glad you're very proud of your Nigerian American uh, two culture, two very, I think you call them two very different cultures. If you you can say nothing else, you know, and I I love it. And I think it's definitely added to, you know, my personality. And then again, um, 
being able to just kind of know, you know, people, I'm different, but then we're all, we're still very human. That's added to my, my worldview as well. So. So then on your path to your education, you went to a historically black college university. Absolutely. I sure did. It was Xavier University, but the one in Louisiana. Yes. Um, And you had mentioned to me that you maybe you were on track to med school because of this idea that, oh, you were told, go be a doctor. What caused the shift to optometry? (laughs) The MCAT. (laughs) (laughs) That's simple. The MCAT, yeah, definitely. So (laughs) Xavier University is is number one at getting um, Blacks and African Americans into the health professional school. So that's medical school, dental school, um, optometry school uh pharmacy school because they have a pharmacy school there so um there was kind of this path now we had a great time i went i mean college in new orleans have you been to new orleans new orleans is fantastic new orleans is an awesome city it's very rich in culture and heritage but um there was this kind of path everybody was going to go into health professions the majority i would say 90 percent of the school went into health professions um and i was i'm a sorority girl so (laughs) I'm in a sorority and I was riding down um, Canal Street with one of my line sisters who was actually my roommate, um, Tiffany. Tiffany is actually one of my, it's funny, I would call her a mentor. She she brought me to optometry. Mm-hmm. I always have to include Tiffany in my um, optometry score story. Um, Tiffany Humes, she's out in Detroit. So Tiffany was my roommate and line sister and we're riding down Canal and, and we're, and I'm just like, girl, I don't know what I'm going to do because this MCAT did not go as planned. And so all everybody else is either going to optometry school, we're graduating in a few months, people are going to med school, people are going to dental school, and paths are charted. And I'm like, I don't know what is, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. And she's like, girl, come on over to optometry. She's like, it's not evasive. You know, my aunt does it. And, and you're going to have a good life. And you still can make money. You have patients and it's patient care and you can do disease and and she literally said, it, you know, I feel like the story's kind of been tweaked, but she literally said, I know she said non-invasive, not a lot of blood. I know she said have a good life. I know she said have good, you know, have patience, but also have like work-life balance. Those are the three things that kind of triggered in my mind. So that summer after my senior year, I went to a program and I studied, re-studied for the MCAT. And then I was also studying for the OAT. Now, call, you know, I was like, okay, well, this would be my plan B if the whole MCAT thing doesn't work out then maybe I'll see if I want to do this optometry thing. But I ended up applying to optometry school and med schools at the same time. And then when I, um, I got waitlisted. I got waitlisted at one or two, because I did, I did improve my MCAT score. My, my MCAT score went up probably like seven or eight points at the time. And that was such a big deal back then. I remember that. I remember feeling really like vindicated <laughs> about the test, but I ended up getting waitlisted and I was, um, people were telling me to go to post back and I was like, I ain't doing that. Uh-uh, I'm not doing that. And so what I ended up doing, I had actually applied to, I'd started three optometry school applications and I only completed the one for PCO. Cause once I got into PCO, I was like, okay, cool. I got my plan B locked away over here. If this doesn't work, then I'll just go this way. Well, I ended up getting offered to go to the SET program, which people talk about all the time. They had a summer enrichment program. So once I got waitlisted, I said, you know what? I'm going to go to this program. And if it's cool, then I'll go to the school. You know, I'll go to PCO. That's not really how it's supposed to work. But I was like, you know, I prayed about it. I was like, God, give me the, give me the answers. And so that was what I came up with. I'll go to the program. 
And if it, you know, the exposure seems cool and doable, then I'm going to go that way. I'm going to go with my plan B. And I am just forever grateful about Tiffany and forever grateful that I ended up in this plan B. That was the best thing that could ever happen to me. Um, med school was not, it wasn't for me. I don't even know what I would do if I had gone to med school because there's so much in between med school and actually practicing. Like you have a, it's a lot. Um, Based upon what your parents both did with their degrees, you'd be doing something else. Absolutely. With the that's all right. Oh, a much larger price um, tag associated. So I'm super um, happy. And yeah, when I do, when I talk about optometry, I have to mention to, she's one of my favorite people in the world. She definitely brought me to optometry. Um, and it was in, it was on a car ride, riding down Canal Street. Never forget it. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I don't. This is all your story, but you asked me about New Orleans. I'm going to tell you very quickly that on my last trip to New Orleans, it was during a, a conference that was there, an eye conference, and I was a runner, and I loved to run the cities that I visited. Mm-hmm. So I was up slightly before dawn and decided to do a very circuitous route. And ended up thinking that what I would do is I would finish running down Bourbon Street. That is the worst place to be at 5.45 in the morning. They are cleaning up, hosing (laughs) down, throwing garbage out, and they don't want people there. I thought Uh I was going to get chased by a bunch of people (laughs) that were doing the work. Get out of here. You know something I didn't know, Scott. (laughs) Don't go to Bourbon Street at dawn. Does not involve running. It does not involve 5 a.m. It does not involve running. <laughs> so just uh, that's a community I service announcement for anybody who goes to New Orleans. Don't go out at 5 a.m. No, don't go to bourbon. No. Don't. Okay. <laughs> okay so uh, to a more serious matter, you have really prided yourself on serving the underserved. Right. And I'd like to, you to tell us about that commitment you have. Um, again, I, I like to be in the neighborhood, you know, that I, that I'm in because I feel that I'm really providing quality care in a neighborhood that might not ordinarily get that type of um, quality eye care in that primary eye care health setting. So I love that. Um, but I also do take pride in, um, trying to do any sorts of outreaches as far as, you know, like vision screenings. Vision is super important to everyone, right? So um, being able to provide um, those types of screenings and different things like that, I'm actually planning one right now for my village. Um, So that's a little bit further out. It's just been a dream of mine to be able to to provide um, eye care to my village just in a way that isn't just, okay, we're leaving these glasses, just a little bit more depth to it. Um, but yes, I definitely find that it's very important. It, you know, people, it shouldn't be exclusive to people who have money um, having quality eye care. Because we know that if your vision is off, you're, you're not functioning, you're not doing well. So, And there's unfortunate evidence of how that impacts education and then that oh, lack yeah. of full education affects the ability of the person to get employed or to follow a more negative path. And so, Anything you do to reach out. When you talked about your village, you mean your village where your family's from in Nigeria? Yes. Yeah. I don't and think so we you talked, actually... I don't think we talked about this before, but yes, no, I, we are I'm planning a, a screening and um I do want to bring um some 
other healthcare professionals, you know, to participate, just like sort of like a health clinic. Um, but again, I always struggle with um, with Band-Aid type approaches because, you know, if they're like what's what's good enough and what's like just kind of like barely scratching the surface, you know, what do you do? Um, so there, more on that later. <laughs> Yeah, I think the there isn't a good answer for it. And I think just the fact that you're willing to consider it and build a plan around it, um, a scratch is maybe all it takes for that one or two kids or somebody to get the benefit. And I know you're doing that in your neighborhood around your practice right now. So keep doing it. Uh, it's impressive. Thank you. One of the things about your career that you mentioned earlier that is really interesting to me is this idea that you started an independent framework. Yeah, specifically focused on meeting the needs of the African and black populations. And I'd like to hear the full story about how you got involved. Well, so I've worn glasses. Um, you know, I started wearing glasses in the second grade and, and none of them were cool. So that's a were you a mile. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> okay. I'm like a minus two and a quarter. And I literally been between that most of my um, life, maybe 250 ish um so started wearing glasses none of them were cool got out of glasses when I was 14 because what I found is that the glasses would you know squish my cheeks or they would never be big enough or um it just they were just awkward they were really awkward and so I started wearing contacts and then as I grew in my career you know I spent all this time in these retail settings and I would try on frame after frame and like none of them ever fit and what I found was that my demographic also had similar issues so I started talking to the opticians that were working there and just said, what do you notice, you know, about the glasses? And so what we found, you know, what I found was that the bridges were always slightly off. The temples were never long enough. They never hooked all the way behind their ears or that we would find that um, the cheekbones were kind of, you know, pressing up against the um, the frames. We fit a lot of women in men's frames. We fit a lot of... Um, African-American women with fuller faces in sunglasses, you know, so you would have to go to a sun lens or sun frame and change it into ophthalmic um, to get a good fit. Um, so I had just been thinking about this. It's just been running in my head, you know, throughout. And even um, in optometry school, I know I had written a business plan for this contest. And in it, it, I said something about glasses. I didn't say about fitting in African-American features. I just said something about glasses. It was just as the years progress, I'm like, these do not fit me. And I would go back and forth. Like, these do not fit me. And so um, I recently started my eyewear line and I am taking pre-orders now. Um, and I started creating frames that I felt, you know, fit better. I didn't want to wear these the whole time because sometimes you can see like the little ring light in it. But I wanted glasses that didn't hit my cheeks when I smiled. And I wanted them to be wide enough across my face and, and really fit well behind the ears. And so I'm super excited. Um, What's the frame in. line called? The um, frame line is called Emily. It is uh, my middle name. It means joy. It's an Igbo word that means joy. And I wanted to bring joy to the eyewear. Uh, you know, I wanted to make wearing glasses a joy, you know, for me and for my patients to be able to say, you know, there's been so many times where I've had patients say, oh, nothing out there fits me. I've had, I mean, it, it'll happen at least once a month. And it, it's kind of like, I remember one lady saying to me, um, I do do Medicaid frames. And I remember her even saying about the Medicaid frame. She was like, doc, are these for children? I think these are for children. And <laughs> Ma'am, these are not for children. These are adult frames, but the frames literally just did not fit. So 
I wanted to create this eyewear line that fit Black and African features really well. I wanted to make eyewear um, a joy. I wanted to make eyewear that made a statement without speaking, you know, that you can really have something fashionable that fits well. And I was just super excited to do that. And here, I just recently added these frame chains to my um, website. These are handcrafted in Nigeria. Um, They're crystal beaded frame chains. So just being able to combine my love for fashion and beautiful things. Um, I think when you wear things that are beautiful, you you it adds confidence to you. You know, you really feel good about yourself and you do good things, you do good work. So bringing the fashion aspect plus something that fits really well, that serves a function, you know, the fashion and function plays. Um, and then just being able to bring, combine it with eyes, you know, even though it was my plan B, I'm absolutely, I love it. I love this profession and to be able to just combine all of those things that I love together, which is a super exciting experience for me. So, so you, you said that you're ready to take orders and right. you, you're doing that. How can somebody find out more about your line and what has it been like to stand up a line and get it distributed? I mean, this I'm interested is the, in both this questions. This is the hardest thing I have ever done in my life. Even when I, when I joke about my residency, this is the, this is the hardest thing I have ever done before because this information is so exclusive and um personally I know I struggle with asking people for help and I know I'm not the only one but it was just so difficult to just realize like you are not going to get this information by yourself you know you have to you have to reach out so that part um breaking into this very exclusive club of eyewear designers um and I'm just with the toe in the door you know um that was difficult. Um, and then also there was a process of me trying to figure out what manufacturer, what route I wanted to go, um, and having to get prototypes because I didn't want to do private label, you know, private label would have landed us, you know, where we've been, they make these frames already and they're this size and just me putting a label on it wasn't going to change the size. So I had to, um, get, you know, really just delve into the education portion on the way frames are made and you know what I was looking for and this I'm not, I don't fit frames all day you know I do the doctor aspect for the most part so it was just kind of educating myself on that the terms what I was asking for and then being able to add in this design aspect because it's not like I took design courses you know I'm just like oh this would be fly this would be dope this would be you know this would be interesting together and then just trying to take a chance on some of the colors and the blends and so it's been a process um and I waited and I waited and I waited and I waited and I said, you know what, let's just go on ahead and start taking pre-orders, start seeing what it is that people are gravitating towards. Um, I am also open to talk to um, any doctors that want to that carry independent lines and want to carry the frames as a wholesale um, partner. I am definitely doing that. Uh, and so you can reach me in a lot of different ways. <laughs> you can give, check, give us give us um, your, give us your email address. My email address is Dr. Um, so Dr. Dot Wamaka at com, And of course, you can follow me on the socials um, at Amwily Eyewear. That's pretty much the handle for every every social. So Instagram, Facebook, um, what other socials? Pinterest, every, anything. That's how you can find me. You can just contact me via um, that email address um, or on the website. 
And just check out the website, check out the frame, see what you think and, and see them on different face shapes. So when I first started, because you got to start something you want to finish, right? You can't just, it doesn't just pop up fully, fully funded or fully perfect. Um, so when I first started, all the pictures were of me in the frames and people were like, oh, you're so pretty. And I'm like, thank you. <laughs> but then like my guy friends would be like, oh, you didn't make anything for the men because I am very girly. Like I like girly stuff. So everything <laughs> looks super feminine, but I have these super dope um, aviator frames that are clearly a gender neutral. And so like my dad wears them, you know, I named them after my dad and people are like, you have nothing for the men. I'm like, no, I do. Um, so now you can see the different face shapes. You can see the way they fit different face shapes. And I really spent a lot of time um, trying to figure out the fit, trying to figure out, you know, how to make this fit different face shapes that we notice similar trends in. And of course, I would be um, bereft if I didn't say, not all Black people look alike. Not all of us have the same face shapes, but we do know that there are ways to make things that can fit us better. We do know that we do have different cheekbones. We do know that we do have different, we know that, you know, so there are ways that we can um, create products that will fit um, the face, the shapes of our faces better. So you can see different face shapes on the website. And I did that on purpose. I wanted people to see that, okay, she really took, you know, some time to see what these features are. And so we did what we could with the first line and I'm really excited. I think we have some beautiful, beautiful, beautiful pieces and I'm also excited to see where it goes with our um, next collection, which I've already started planning. And I'm looking, hoping that maybe there'll be more than one size in each collection. So we'll we'll see where that, you know, you have to say it first before it can be a thing. So Walt Disney always said, dream, then believe, then dare, and then do. And you've taken all four steps. I love and that. And I, I got to tell you, you know, it's, it is a big leap, but the business perspective you're bringing the thought that you're bringing, the style idea, um, the specific ethnic approach and the appeal to those that you understand well from your community and your upbringing. I, it's just, it's the way it should be. I am really, really uh, so thrilled much. to see that you found your first success. And uh, listen, I got no interest in this other than you being successful. I want everyone who's listening to check out and Wooly Eyewear. So thank you. We will, we'll get that out there. Absolutely. So, thank you. As we get to the end, uh, this has been a great discussion. What advice do you have for your optometric colleagues uh, as they look at what they got to do to be successful in the next couple of years? Um, I think we all learned it last year. Be, be ready to pivot. Be ready to change where you need to. But then also incorporate your passions. Incorporate the things that you're good at into um, whether it's, it may not directly affect your career, but bring that full package. We have so many talents and we talked about what you did and what you brought to the industry with the um, with your website and everything. And I think that we cannot be afraid of bringing our different talents to this industry. I think we can make the industry and the profession more robust and more um, comprehensive when we, when we bring all of our talents, all of our diversity, all of our um, perspective, our worldviews into this industry. I think we can take it very far. Yeah. Well, okay. It's been a great conversation. I can't thank you enough for giving us the time to share your incredible stories. Thank you so much. This was great talking with you, Scott. It's been my pleasure and I wish you great success in all that you do. And to the audience, thanks for listening to these wonderful stories. Until my next Sandbox story, be great at all you do.